0: Oh,
1: oh, oh, Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe D'Amino. On this episode, we talk with retired NYPD detective and author Vic Ferrari. Originally from the Bronx and now living in Florida, Vic is a retired NYPD detective who has written four humorous books about the New York City Police Department. In addition to writing books, he is also a professional behind the mic, and he's prolific with over 100 podcast radio and television interviews and a contributor to a syndicated radio program, Sterling on Sunday he gets into all of this and so much more enjoy this interview
2: hey thanks for taking a minute out no problem my friend i love your story man i appreciate that where exactly are you located 20 year uh, 20 year career with the new york city police department i retired we moved down to sunny florida oh good for you man you deserve that
0: i would think after all of that time
2: yeah it's 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 a, it's a nice change
0: I just by way of explanation before we get into it my dad was born in brooklyn raised in Long Island oh. so he joined the military hoping to see the world and got stationed at Richard's Capower in Kansas City fell in love so here are here are the Dominos lay here in Kansas City so um, <laughs> but I, I still have relatives up in Massapequa and that's the thing they always talk about you know whenever everybody gets to that point where they they can't take New York and they need some vitamin C they go right down to Florida
2: Oh, yeah. There's so many New Yorkers down here. I mean, and, it's like, you're just out and about, you hear the accents, and it's like, Long Island, Queens, Brooklyn, you know? so <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I'm not quite that deciduous with my ears, but I, I love the whole New York way. I used to go up um my aunt and uncle owned a pastry shop, and it was... I went up there around that whole Joey Badafuco thing, and listening <laughs> to them talk about him back there, I was in stitches. I couldn't even... I couldn't breathe. I had to walk out. I was like... You guys either have to stop talking or have to get the hell out of here. I can't take it anymore. So um,
2: yeah, you know, it's it's funny. There's a story in one of my books. There's a guy we worked with, and he was one of these guys. He would go to a party, and like in 11 minutes, he was drunk. And we used to call him Mary Joe Buttafuco because after he would get licked up, he'd start talking out of the side of his mouth like he had a stroke. So we used oh, to no. refer to him as Mary Joe. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild.
0: Well, I will tell you one thing. I always ask everybody what they want to be when they were a kid, and I can tell you 100%. I was the kid that watched Chips as a kid, and I thought for sure I was going to be a police officer. That was my dream.
2: Yeah, and, same with me. I mean, I grew up I'm probably a little older than you. I grew up watching the Rockford Files and then the movies, the French Connection and the 7-Ups and, you know, all these television shows. But I knew what I wanted to do by the time I was about five years old. Yeah,
0: so I'm curious, before we get to how that dream came to fruition for you, you know, when did you retire? How did that, how did COVID affect the way that you've been living your life? How did you survive the COVID period?
2: Well, I'm retired now about 15 years. I I was active with the New York City Police Department between 1987 and 2007. So, I mean, you know, I was long down here in Florida. Um, Floridians, I mean, they pretty much took the gloves or the masks off fairly quickly down here and said, you know, just be careful and be adults. And, uh, you you know, um, so it it really was, I see what goes on in, in other places like New York and Michigan and New Jersey, but we didn't, you know, we really weren't on lockdown very long down here. So talk to me a little bit about
0: your childhood and how you wanted to become an officer, how all of that kind of came in to become a reality for you.
2: Sure. So I was a little boy. I was probably about five or six years old, my mom used to take me to the movie theater and around the corner from the police station, or around the corner from the movie theater was a the police station. So, you know, when route to see Herbie the Love Bug Part 3 or whatever, I would run up to the police cars and look inside the windows and I was amazed by the equipment and the cops walking around the precinct and the way they interacted with each other. And every little boy is, is drawn to that gun. And I said to myself, you know what, this is something I think I want to do. And by the age of 10, my friends and I used to sneak into the local post office and steal the FBI wanted posters. And we'd go around the neighborhood with these wanted posters of some guy wanted for a bank robbery in Louisiana. And we'd be in the local deli like, hey, this could be him. Maybe we should call 911 on this guy. So, you know, it, it's, I knew what I wanted to do at an early age. My parents wanted me to go to college, but I would have none of it. And uh, you know, by twenty, I took the uh, the police entrance exam. I passed, and by twenty one, I was I was on my way in the police academy.
0: You know, I always hear about New York in the eighties about how rough it was, and you know, you hear about the, uh, the the trash strike and all kinds of things. That time period was it pretty intense when you were on the force?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm born and raised in the Bronx, so I mean, you know, it's not it's not like it was culture shock for me. But, uh, yeah, New York was in uh, was in a tough predicament back then. you got to remember, so we had Ed Koch was the mayor, and he was a good guy. He supported the police. He just didn't really understand crime. And New York kind of slid into the abyss as far as, you know, it was the Wild West. And then after Koch, we had the late, great D- David Pinkins, who ignored crime. And uh, it was out of control. And when, when I got hired... I was right in the middle of the crack epidemic. So, you you know, I mean, I had I remember as a rookie cop standing on a footpost in the South Bronx and, you know, you got these crack zombies or, or heroin addicts just walking by you in this dazed state, you know, like selling their bodies and selling whatever they could get their hands on. So, yeah, it was um, it was a little culture shock, even though I grew up in the Bronx. I really I wasn't ready for that. It was kind of baptism by fire.
0: So, you know, a a lot of people have their perceptions of of police work, a lot of civilians that haven't been on the inside. But as someone that's been on the inside, especially someone that's been in New York doing this, what's one of the most common misconceptions the public have about the work that you were doing all those years?
2: The well, there's a lot of misconceptions, and I, I get to that in my in, in my books. There's stories that people think one that wave, and the actuality is the other. So, a misconception is the amount of paperwork. It's just redundant, nonstop paperwork, and it's checked and checked again. Another misconception is the cops don't have a sense of humor. So, the average person, you walk up to a cop, and you're going to get that stoic, robotic, "Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am." And and that's because cops will talk to you all day long through the screen door. They're not going to let you in. And that's for a variety of reasons, because A, they're burned out, or B, they really don't know your motivation. But the reality is, cops have a really good sense of humor, almost a dark, gallows sense of humor, most patrolmen. And in my books, there's stories of practical jokes. I mean, the things that go on in the precinct locker room, you wouldn't believe. But that has
0: to be a way of survival, though. You know, it's that whole adage that, you know, sometimes when it gets so bad, you, you're you either going to laugh or cry. And with what you see every day, there's got to be a way to diffuse that.
2: Oh, absolutely. And oftentimes that's with humor. And like you said, like, I remember within the first couple of hours being down at Ground Zero, we're walking around in this, like, volcanic ash You know, the sunlight is barely getting through the particles. It's like twilight, but it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And they were handing out these ridiculous paper masks that you would get at Home Depot if you were going to demo your bathroom. You know, it didn't provide much cover, but everybody put them on regardless. And I remember just like the irony in it, some of my coworkers were big smokers, and they're pulling the mask down, taking puffs of smoke, you know, puffs on the cigarette, and we couldn't stop laughing at it. I mean, it was just the irony, and it. it's like, you know, we're probably, there's a lot of us here that's probably going to get cancer from this, and you guys are doubling down on an eleven at, at a blackjack table, you know? Yeah, I'm going to have, I'm going to take a puff of my Marlboro. <laughs> that's crazy, man.
0: So, you know, in being somebody that, that's been in a, in a pretty intense profession, and you're, you know, you're an author now, you know. What kind of heroes have you had in your life? What kind of role models, people that you've looked
2: up to? Well, first and foremost, my parents. I mean, I grew up in a lower middle-class family. My dad was a butcher. My mom was a housewife, although later on in life, she she began to work in a bank like a teller. But, I, you know, you don't appreciate it when you're a child, but as you get older, you see the sacrifices, at least I did, that my parents made for me. And, I mean, my dad worked six, seven days a week, so we were able to go on vacation for a week or two out of the year which, which was a big deal to us to get out of the bronx and drive down to florida or wherever so it was definitely my parents i looked up to and then later on in life i've had some mentors some people that have taken me under their wing especially in the police department that showed me the ropes or you know if if they saw that i was doing something that would later on would be detrimental to my career said no you know what you should really handle it this way and you know teaching me never burn a bridge with people so, But my parents, and then there were some folks, you know, that that helped me along the way in the police department. So, if you can
0: meet anybody alive on the planet right now, who would it be? Who would you love to talk to and spend some time with? Oh, wow. That's,
2: you threw me a curve with that one. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know it sounds ridiculous. I mean, growing up as a kid, going to see all those Dirty Harry movies helped me, you know, that helped my decision to become a police officer. I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan. Or maybe Michael Richards from Seinfeld, Kramer. I always, you know, I, I still watch those episodes. And I just, you, you watch it and it's just the brilliance of him. Uh, you kind of threw me a curve with that one. I, I, I hope, you know, maybe there's probably more influential people I should have named, but right off the top of my head, I would go with those two.
0: Yeah, no, those are great. In fact, it, it's weird. I, uh, my main Podcast Vocation, I have a radio show and I interview jazz musicians. And I interviewed Kyle, his son, he's a bass player. And I was asking some things about, you know, his life and how he got into jazz. And he's talking about going to major jazz festivals because his dad's Clint Eastwood, you know. It's like, I just couldn't quite shake the whole time that I'm talking to Dirty Harry's son. It's weird.
2: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, 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 uh, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. In, in one of my books, there's a chapter called "Rubbing Elbows," and I chronicle. I mean, you're a cop in New York City, you're going to run into famous people, and I've run into tons of famous people—some nice, some not so nice—and it's just—it was amazing, just you know, bumping into famous people and you're talking to them, and this, you know, a couple of them were impressed. You know, I'm a New York City police detective, and I'm saying to myself yeah, but you're Julianne Moore or, you know, you're Peter Falk. You played Columbo on television. So I I know what you mean. You're having this conversation and your mind is talking to you like, I can't believe I'm talking to this guy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. So talk to me a little bit about how writing became your life and, and, and writing books and how did this, how did this come about?
2: Well, after I retired from the New York city police department, I moved to Florida and, uh, I became a police officer down here in the Sunshine State, but not for long. It wasn't for me. It it, it was a different culture from working as a detective doing organized crime in the largest police department in the country to, you know, and now I'm in my early 40s going on the road and handling DUIs and domestics. I said, you know what, I'm a little old for this nonsense. So I re-retired. And at the urging of friends and family, I, you know, I was told, listen, you know, you should, you've got all these amazing, funny stories. You should really write them down and put them in books. And I started cranking out these books, and to my surprise, they started selling. And then to, to sell these books, I started going on and doing radio, TV, and podcast interviews, which I never saw myself doing, but it helps move books, and people like yourself are nice enough to put me on their platforms, and I get to meet amazing people doing this. So writing just became a part of my life. It just, I just kind of morphed into a second career. So
0: for you, speaking of writing, what was a book for you growing up? What's been a book in your life that really – you, you still think about it. It's something that did a lot for your desire to either read or write.
2: Uh, well, when I, I went to Catholic high school and every summer they, – they made us read the classics. And I, re- I remember uh, – I, I mean, Death of a Salesman, uh, The Grapes of Wrath, uh, All's Quiet on the Western Front, uh, You know, uh, what's that uh, about J.D. Salinger? Catcher in the Rye. I mean, it was the classics for me that that got me into reading. I still enjoy reading. Unfortunately, as a writer, most of my time is either writing or marketing, but I do love to get a book that I really enjoy. and could just sit back and get lost in doing that. So if you
0: had a dream tonight, you run into your version of yourself, say, you know, right after the police academy, you know, in your 20s, and you could give that version a piece of advice based on the wisdom
2: that you gained over all these years. What would you tell that young version? Plenty. But uh, first and foremost, you know, be careful who you treat on. You know, it's the New York City Police. It's civil service, so you've got workers, non-workers in the police department in New York. You got to remember, there's thirty-five to forty thousand members at any given time, and there's a there's a great divide between the workers and the inside people, but the thing is, with the inside people, they study for the civil service exams, and one day, these people may be your boss, and I never wanted to manage people, I always wanted to be a detective, so I went the lateral route, so later on in my career, people that I had problems with, because they weren't doing their jobs, and I called them out on it, guess what, this guy's a sergeant, this guy's a captain, and now i got to listen to this person, so try not to burn a bridge, and you know, keep my mouth shut and more, and my ears open.
0: So everyone has a perception of you, an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your readers, but ultimately you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are?
2: I'm a guy that lives his life by a code, I would think. Um, I treat others as I'd like to be treated, be it a waiter, a busboy. I, you know, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. Um, I'm just a guy from the, a kid from the Bronx that became a police officer and was lucky enough to get into writing. I would like to hope that I'm just perceived as a, as a hard working down to earth person.
0: What's been the best fan letter you've ever gotten about your work, about anything you've done with your writing?
2: On Amazon. So people, people can post, you know, ratings on your book, on your book and, and they can critique it. And I've gotten some really, and I always close my books. I always close out my books with a little blurb that says, listen, you know, I appreciate you spending your hard-earned money and time on my book. I would greatly appreciate it if you leave me a review. All reviews, good or bad, help me become a better writer. And sometimes, you know, I mean, you know, you, you put yourself out there like that, you, you should expect a response. And I've gotten some tough reviews, but several of them pointed things out that helped me become a better writer. And some people have written these really nice things about – they grew, they too grew up in the city and – the time period I speak about, you know, brings them back in their time, and they thank me for, you know, ha- helping them escape whatever problems they have by getting lost in a book.
0: So where is this, this, where's the best place for anybody out there to go to get your books, to learn more about you, anything related to you?
2: Sure. Um, all my books are on Amazon, so if you go to the Amazon book section, just type in Vic, V-I-C, Ferrari, like the car. My books will come up. They're all ten dollar paperbacks and two ninety nine ebook downloads. They all make great. They all make great ten dollar stocking stuffers. And they're filled. My books don't have a beginning, middle, end. They're all just short stories of colorful characters and interesting criminals and behind the scenes look at the New York City Police Department. So I can tell you this to add as an addendum to that. I have. Uh, I have a.
0: Uh... Um, a Prime membership and I noticed that all of them are, are are available for me to download so I'm going to start diving in so you may get some uh, feedback from me I'm
2: looking forward to it thank you so much I appreciate it and, and also you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Vic Ferrari 50.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, and music around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.